All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Boca Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Holritz. Happy Monday to you. For those of you that are live streaming with us today, I hope you had a good weekend. Uh, mine was quite good, quite relaxing. Nice to kind of hit the reset button and then launch hardcore into this week. And um, I hope you'll join me. Let's make something really good out of this week. If you are live streaming with us, make sure as well that you take advantage of the opportunity to have a conversation with myself and our brand new guest who I'm going to introduce here in just a second. Um, but take advantage of this platform. You can, on, whether you're on Facebook or on youtube.com slash Boca Podcast, you can ask questions, you can comment on the conversation at hand. And I would encourage you to take advantage of that opportunity. That's really one of the main benefits of this live streaming or these live streaming platforms. And then for those of you that are listening to the audio version after the fact, of course, make sure that you're following us on Instagram at bocapodcast.com or at bocapodcast. And um, certainly you can go to bocapodcast.com and see some of the latest episodes, the show notes as well. Take advantage of that. But come join us in these conversations. And again, take advantage of this opportunity to have a conversation with our guests. And then before I introduce our guests, one other note, as I promised you all I would do before every episode, I made my donation to Charity Water today. That little receipt is up there on the screen. You can see it for those of you that are live streaming. But again, I just do this as a way to encourage everybody listening in and watching to look for opportunities to give back. I know it's kind of a crazy world out there um, and we're uncertain and unsure, but if we're in a position where we have a computer or a phone that costs thousands or thousands of dollars, um, I think we can figure out ways to give you a few bucks here and there, whether it's the local organizations or of course those bigger international ones as well. So I encourage you to do that today. And uh, on that note, I want to go ahead and introduce our brand new guest today. Sarah Larray from Sarah Larray Photography is here with me. Hey, Sarah, thanks for Hi. coming to hang out with me. Of course. I'm so excited to be here. Well, and, and it's it's kind of funny because we're local to each other and yet we're still doing this podcast remotely. <laughs> I think it just ends up working well for, for the sake of managing cameras and so forth. But I also kind of miss some of that, that in-person conversation. Um, we originally connected through in-person conversation at a local photographer get together here in Chattanooga, right? Yeah, absolutely. Feels like a while ago after COVID nonsense, but those the Thursday brunches, well, they were always super fun. They were, yeah, and I, I do miss that. And and um, maybe we can kind of get those things going again. It, it was interesting, though, something I observed, and I'm curious to get your take on this, being a local photographer as well. Even before the pandemic hit as hard as it did, it, it seemed like photographers were less willing to venture out of their homes, even for like a 15, 20 minute drive across town to go grab coffee or to meet for lunch, like you were talking about. And I, I don't know, that really bummed me out because it seemed like no longer were those in-person connections and relationships being prioritized, maybe like we used to. What are your thoughts on that and, and the importance of that for the sake of our photography community? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was kind of hard in you know, like you said, before the pandemic, even to get people to to come out just because people are so super busy. Um, and I think especially a lot of photographers, like they don't, especially when they're starting out the idea of community over competition and how networking with other photographers can be just such a huge, huge benefit to you and your business. Yeah, yeah. Um, some of my best friends that I have now are people that I met and connected with at some of those brunches. Um, and just sharing information with each other and um, all those things. It's, it's, but yeah, I think the pandemic has changed people's like perception of like new people and mm. meeting people. And I feel like a lot of people, 
especially introverts are almost more comfortable in a post-pandemic world. And so, you know, where it was the stretch, they maybe would have pushed themselves before the pandemic has sort of given them um, license to, you know, it's more acceptable, I guess, to mm. not push your boundaries yeah. a little bit. That's interesting, though, because, I mean... It, as business owners, we really don't have a choice but to engage with people that we don't know, right? That's just part of doing business. You meet somebody, you offer their, your services to them, and hopefully you have the opportunity to book them and work with them. There are a lot of photographers in the industry who are self-proclaimed introverts, yet, as you pointed out, in many cases, we'll use that as kind of reason not to get out and connect, and not just with potential clients, but in this case, even with potential photographer or with other photographers who potentially could add a lot of value not only through the form of just a, a genuine relationship, but also advice and suggestions and ideas and camaraderie and support. Um, and I understand that that we're all like we all have different backgrounds, and so we have this kind of psychological makeup that that varies from person to person. But I've been in the industry long enough now too to see the detriment of going inward and just kind of focusing on yourself, and um, or maybe getting a little obsessed with our tendencies, i.e., introversion or extroversion. And letting that get in the way of the opportunity to, to make real connection in person. And I was just, I don't know, I was just really bummed to see that. I remember there was a post, um, I think, in the in our local group where somebody was complaining about having to drive like 20 minutes across town. They, they were saying it was too far. And I know you talk about people saying that it's too that they're too busy. But at the end of the day, we prioritize, we make time for what we prioritize. And uh, I just want to, I want to encourage photography communities, certainly the local one, but also those listening nationally or internationally, make the effort, go above and beyond, if that's what it feels like, to, to get out and connect with somebody and have a conversation in person uh, because there are so many benefits on the other side of that. That's how my whole career in the photography industry grew was on, on the backs of connection with, or in the back of connection with other photographers. And, and if we pull back from that and we go inward, it's going to hurt our business potentially, but it also hurt us kind of psychologically and emotionally as well. I think we're missing out. What do you think? Oh yeah, I agree 110%. Like I and for me, it, pandemic was especially hard with me being a um, more extroverted person. It was, you know, more emotionally taxing to be so isolated. And I, I definitely miss, um, I miss that. I, I want us to get back to that for sure. Yeah, we will. We will. Um, for everybody listening in, this is going to be accountability for me and Sarah. Sarah and I are going to make the effort to get our group back together here in local Chattanooga marketplace and uh, reconnect. I think I think that would be a good thing. And it's a good I'm glad that we're having this conversation today to kind of encourage that again. Let's go ahead and jump into kind of the, the primary conversation at hand, though, here. First of all, allowing or enabling our listeners and viewers to get to know you a little bit. You are based here in the Chattanooga market. Um, maybe just to get us started, one of the questions I normally go to, brand position. What is your photography business's brand position or unique value proposition here in the Chattanooga market? So I consider myself a bright and vibrant photographer that sort of specializes in joyful couples who aren't used to being in front of the camera. Um, maybe you're a little bit uncomfortable because sort of where I shine is getting people to come out of their shell just a little bit. Um, and capture candid, timeless wedding images um, for them. So that's kind of where my little niche is, I guess. <laughs> okay. And for everybody listening in, just for a little context, if you go to Sarah, S-A-R-A-H-L-A-R-A-E, Sarah Larae, photography.com. Of course, we'll link to this in the show notes at bocapodcast.com when the audio version goes live as well. 
but you can you can go there, get an idea of Sarah's work. Beautiful work, by the way, Sarah, that's just kind of flashing across my screen here as as we're looking at this. But um, you all make sure you go follow Sarah. And, and while we're talking about following, go to Sarah Laray photo on Instagram. We'll also link to that in the show notes. S-A-R-A-H-L-A-R-A-E photo on Instagram. And uh, make sure you give Sarah a follow there as well. Sarah, I want to ask you something, though, about about this, um, the brand position that you were just describing. Um, one of the things that you mentioned, I've heard other photographers say this as well. You talk about photographing joyful couples. And normally when we make an assertion that we photograph this particular market segment or this type of person, it would suggest that there's an opposite to that, right? So if I photograph joyful couples, sure. then that means that some photographers are photographing, I guess, unhappy couples. But I'm, I'm curious to get some context <laughs> as to, to, to why you would say joyful specifically. How does that differentiate your brand? Um, I think because like uh, the word joyful to me conveys sort of a lightheartedness. Um, and so what I'm not, sometimes when defining a style, especially, or defining who you are, sometimes it's easier to think about what you are not as hmm. opposed to what you are, at okay. least in the beginning. And so like, I knew I, I'm not like a dark and moody. I'm not a super serious person. Like I take my work seriously, but I don't take myself super seriously usually. No. So, um, you know, people who are sort of, I felt like the word joyful resonated with people who are, um, uh, you know, sort of more, more laid back, more happy go lucky. Yeah. Okay. And it's crazy because this past weekend I was at Riverbend, which is a local Chattanooga festival. Yeah. And Leslie Jordan was the MC and I, ended up on his Instagram and Brandy Carlisle commented a joy bombing. <laughs> really? <laughs> Calling okay. me a joy bomber. And I was like, that's so on brand for me. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that's why. Okay. So the idea there is twofold, I guess that one to communicate just the fact that you like to have fun to that potential client. And then also that you want to work with somebody who's a little bit more lighthearted, who also wants to have fun. Mm -hmm. You're trying to connect with that type of client. Um, mm -hmm. and that, okay. So I, that makes a little bit more sense as uh, speaking of joy photo, joy photo actually commented on a Facebook said, how do you convince timid or quiet clients to let loose and embrace the joyful attitude you talk about? And that's an interesting question. And I, I certainly want to let you answer this, Sarah, but sure. are, I'm wondering too, though, if, if you have a brand position that says I photograph joyful couples, are those who tend to be more quiet or more timid going to come your direction as well? What are your thoughts on that? I haven't had any, like, oddly, I do tend to attract people who are a little bit more, at least shy, I guess is the word, or slow to warm. Okay. Because Slow to I, warm, I like that. Yeah. Okay. I have a, you're not supposed to call kids shy anymore, by the way. You're supposed to call them slow to warm. Oh, anyway. It, oh, okay. Thank you for the education. That's good. Okay. Continue. I know. My friend has a shy kid. <laughs> okay. Uh, so... Anywho, um, yeah, so I, I, I somehow I still attract couples like that. And I think it's because of word of mouth and referrals, but because I'm sort of kind of known for um, getting people to pull. And the way that I do that is um, so anyway, people who are already naturally like bubbly and th those people are great, too. But I don't serve them as much as people who are a little bit more pulled back, but want to be joyful um, because they're like they have fear of vulnerability and lots of stuff that actually are some points for later on. But um, because those people, you know, that are, that need someone to pull the, pull themselves out of themselves. 
Um, that's, those are the kind of clients that I feel like I serve really, really well. Um, and the way that I do that to answer her question, his or her question is I, um, I just make a fool of myself. (laughs) (laughs) What does that actually look like, Sarah? Please, please give us a detailed depiction or description. (laughs) (laughs) You know, just not being afraid to poke fun at myself. Like, Oh, look at me. I'm in a bush, you know, well, whatever. Like I'll do whatever I need to do. Like I go for the easy laugh. I get that from my father. Um, so, you know, just making people feel comfortable by showing them that I'm just a human being, like we're just hanging out. Like it is mm. not that serious. We are yeah. taking pictures. Like we don't have to be perfectly posed. We don't have to be and just, and also a big, it's making sure that they know they can trust me and that I'm going to tell them exactly what they need to do. And if they look dumb or stupid or bad, that I'm going to fix it. Like they trust me for me to communicate with them. Mm. Um, and so then they can get a little more comfortable that way. So in order to be that way, you have to be comfortable with yourself, right? Because the idea of kind of put us, putting us out, ourselves out there in a way that's a little bit like off the wall, a little bit outside the box, a little crazy, quote unquote, requires a certain amount of confidence in order to do so. We're not thinking about, we're not worried about what this person thinks about us. We're being crazy for the sake of kind of pulling that side out of them as well. You seem quite comfortable with yourself, um, and I know this this relates too to the to the topic that we're going to get into a little bit later when, about defining what success looks like for ourselves. But you seem super comfortable with yourself. Is that something that just comes naturally for you, or is that something you had to kind of work into? Um, no. I mean, I was a child that was slow to warm. I was actually shy and chronically insecure, and very, um, you know, it's. I, if you looked at my parents, you would probably think that it was natural that I was always this way because I'm very much like both of my parents. Okay. Um, they're both very extroverted and um, loud. <laughs> um, <laughs> Shout out but, to Sarah's parents. <laughs> yeah. My mom's probably watching this. She's like, oh, God. Hey, mom. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was not, I, w- I mean, my mom used to say she hated me in middle school because I cried every day because I was just so, like, insecure, and it took me a lot, I was a late bloomer, I think, it took me a long time to really be comfortable with myself, um, and I had, I went through sort of a life change in my late 20s, I went through a divorce, and um, that experience gave me license to find myself, free myself, and demand to myself that I was going to be comfortable with Mm. who I am and Mm. I was going to live my life how I wanted to live it. I didn't have to answer to anybody else. Mm. That's okay. So let's park here for a second because, again, I think this is related to the later conversation, but I think it's super important for our industry because you see, and by the way, I'll say this from personal experience as well, you see a lot of insecurity in our photography industry. Just just reading in a little bit to some of the posts on social media, you, you get a feel for a person or people, a lot of photographers who, who want or need the attention, um, who need somebody to kind of prop them up or make them feel better. And they look to social media to do that. So you can see it comes through kind of loud and clear in some cases, unfortunately. But it's also something, I, I say unfortunately, but something unfortunate because, again, I have personal experience with this where I'm letting, you know, some would say I'm, I'm getting in my head. But ultimately, a lot of it is just about insecurity. I'm not secure with some element or elements of myself. 
and I'm projecting then that experience onto the outside world. It's mixing with that and there's all this drama, unnecessary drama ensues. And we also limit ourselves in our ability to be able to engage with our clients more effectively, especially like you're describing. So I think this is all super, super important. When you made that assertion uh, for yourself, where you said, you know what, I'm not going to give the credit or the weight or the significance to other people's opinions that I used to, there's something significant to, to making that absolute choice internally to the point where you feel something emotionally and then you begin to act on it. But I'm curious what that process looked like for you. Like, what did it take to actually make that assertion and make that change and be able to kind of move forward? There's a book that I've mentioned before in the podcast. It's called The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F. I'll, I'll mm -hmm. fill in the blank there. Uh, but it's a Read really powerful one, yeah. book and very much relates to this idea. Anyway, I've, I've talked a lot. I want to hear what that experience was for you. Um, well, therapy is helpful. Sure. <laughs> yeah. so that, that I think, you know, that's part of it. Um, I'm a big fan of Brene Brown. Okay. Um, and so a lot of her work um, really speaks to me and has helped me. I didn't, I came to her late though. When I fit, when I, you know, kind of initially went through that experience of getting confidence and believing in myself. Um, I just, you know, I think, and um, I hate to like get so deep here with the divorce, but I, it, it was, yeah. a, it, it was a, a, a tipping point in my life because I never thought I would be that person. Hmm. And so I had, I never thought I would be a divorcee. I never thought I would be a divorced person. And prior to that happening to me, I had a lot of really ugly thoughts about people who are divorced. And so when that happened to me, I had this realization of like, I'm not that, like, I'm not, that's not mm. who, the, all of these things that I thought about people who were divorced was yeah. not who I was. Yeah. And so I just had this like eye opening moment of like, what everyone, what everybody else thinks of me is none of my business. Like they're, they have false that what they think is probably false. Cause what yeah. I believed about other people was so false before. Like I just don't give any like val validity or energy towards what other people think. Now, a lot of people who know me will say, I wish I was more like you. You just don't care what people think about you or whatever. And I, I don't think that's necessarily true. It's not that I don't care. I'm just very, it's not that I don't care about what people think. I'm just very uh, specific about what I want people to think about me. Hmm. And I'm very, um, and what I want people to think about me is very different, I think, than what a lot of people want people to think about them. Mm, okay. All right. So that, I mean, that's going to be a beautiful segue into our conversation about success here in just a little bit. So we'll, we'll, we'll go there. Everybody listening in, I know we've already gone deep and I think this is really good because it sets us up for the conversation at hand, but I do have a few more questions for you, Sarah, before we okay. get to that topic, um, defining success for ourselves. Talk to me a little bit about customer experience, having run a photography business now for how many years? Seven. Seven years. Okay. So lots of experience. What would you say is the big idea that has enabled you to provide the best possible customer experience for your clients? Um, communication is key for me. I like to tell my clients that I need them to communicate what their expectations are so that I can make sure that I exceed those expectations. Mm. So communication both ways. Clients communicating with me and then communicating with the clients and educating them about what they can expect 
um, from me, from their experience. Um, so what, you know, shooting, I've shot over a hundred weddings. So, you know, I just feel like it's my responsibility to educate them about how a wedding usually goes so that, sure. you know, cause you don't want to get to a wedding day and then they think it's going to go a certain way. And if we had just had a good conversation, I could have shared my knowledge and expertise with them and they would have known that that was unrealistic from the beginning. Sure. Um, so education and communication, I think is key to creating a great client experience. Yeah. For the sake of managing expectations, that's, uh, I'm old school taking notes with a notebook here and I just wrote down the word expectations and circled it. Cause that's, that is what we're talking about. And made me think of something. One of our biggest challenges at my editing company, photographers edit is to effectively manage our clients' expectations. I, I guess that's really the case with any brand, but something is something, especially as um, kind of particular and nuanced as editing and editing style it becomes even more important that you manage the expectations of our clients, potential clients. The flip side of that though, is something that you highlighted or not even the flip side, but part of that process is effectively getting from that client or potential client, what it is they think, what their preferences are, what they're looking for. But what I've learned, and I mean, we've been in business now for close to 15 years. What I've learned is that I may not be asking the right question in order to get that information, or maybe I am, but I'm not wording it in a way that resonates with that person. And so part of our process in managing our clients' expectations effectively has also been about learning how to ask the question or what questions to ask. So we're getting the right information. What does that process look like for you? How have you learned to ask the right questions to your clients? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Cause I, um, I have questionnaires that I send my clients and I'm very, I have very, I have some particular questions. Um, I think the, the, uh, sort of skill is asking a question that gives you more information than the, per, the client even realizes is giving you. Mm. Um, so they answer the question and it tells you a lot of things. Um, like I ask on all my client calls, um, what, what do you expect? What does the perfect wedding day photo look like to you? And they may be asking, they may think I'm just asking what photo they would like to hang in their house or whatever. But what I'm really asking is if they answer a photo of all my family that I never get to see. Or um, a photo of me and my husband lost in a field. Or, you know, there are lots of ways to answer that question. You would think it would be similar across the board, but I get lots of different answers. And if they talk a lot about family, then I know, okay, their family is super important to them. I'm going to make notes about on the wedding day that I need to make sure I get lots of candidates of their family, you know, so it kind of tells me a lot about what their expectations are without and what's really important to their heart and what's going to be important on that wedding day without them even realizing that they're answering that. Hmm. And do you, I mean, that seems like such a, a broad question, right? What is your ideal wedding day or what's your dream wedding? Cause you're right. There's so many different answers that can come from it digging into that though, to truly understand what it is that they mean, or do you have, do you ask a lot of follow-up questions or do you find yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I, I mean, honestly, I love that it's so open-ended because I think that's, it is a hard question to answer. And I kind of preface it like this is, you know, some of the questions are, are kind of difficult and you can take a minute to think about it. Yeah. Um, 
but it just kind of tells me. And so the fact that it is on a, so open-ended is why I get such an array of different answers. But like right. I said, I think it's what speaks um, to their heart. And that's important for me to know as a wedding photographer, because you, I tell clients, I'm like, you would think that everybody kind of wants the same things, but surprisingly, when you really drill down and ask the right questions, mm -hmm. people have very different expectations about what they want. So they give you that initial description. And like you said, it would, it would invite a variety of, of answers. And then you just start to kind of dig down to the individual pieces of the answer to mm -hmm. that question, just to better understand what it is that they mean. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And you know, that that's something I usually ask on the initial client call. And mm -hmm. then I ask lots of questions, like after booking Smart. and, um, you know, all that stuff, you know, I have pretty and I tell people like, I know this is a lot, it's pretty comprehensive, but it's important to me that I understand your expectations. And we have to communicate with each other. Sure, that, that totally makes sense. Okay, well, that's a good reminder. Um, and for those of you listening and watching, it's, it's, I can't stress it enough. I, I've been in the industry now for about 20 years and, and the significance of communication, number one, and making the effort to, to communicate consistently and in detail, super important part of that process, as you highlighted, Sarah, is the process of managing expectations. It's so key for the sake of providing a great customer experience. So again, I'm glad that you highlight that. Let me jump to time management. Tell me something like a big idea that drives your ability to manage time. So you aren't just working all the time. You've got a bit of personal life as well. What, what is that big idea for you? So being really efficient with my time and having processes um, in place that I work well with having pro like specific processes that I do for every client or every, hmm. you know, piece of my business Systems, so that yeah. I can almost go through like a list. And so that keeps me really efficient. So I know where I am in the process for every client or just within the business itself. Um, so that keeps me really efficient. Um, and then as the other thing, I also have a little touch of ADHD. So okay. my husband is like, I have a little bit of time blindness sometimes. So I'll just get like hyper focused laser and then time will just get away from me. And so my husband and I kind of have, he is helpful and supportive in that, you know, um, he communicates with me, um, like if I'm too zoned in or if, you know, if he's feeling a little bit neglected, like he has to tell me because I will just keep working <laughs> until whatever time. Yeah. So, <laughs> Um, you know, communication in a marriage is um, extremely key. <laughs> no, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Well, like, there again is the management of expectations as well, right? Especially in the context of a relationship like that. But um, that, that's good. <laughs> so having systems in place, things that you repeat over like or that, that you would do each time that you approach that particular task, that, that would essentially be mm -hmm. what we would call a system important to have systems in place. Delegation is also something that can, can save photographers a lot of time, the management of their business. This could be with, you know, e email management, other administrative tasks, editing, certainly album design, accounting. Is, have you experimented with delegation at all in your business? Have you found any success with that? 100%. In fact, I would say the last like year, yeah, definitely well, last year, I have really embraced outsourcing um, on a whole nother scale, um, okay. that's enabled me to grow a lot more, um, outsourcing my editing, outsourcing, um, my house cleaning, <laughs> outsourcing, 
I delegate to my husband a lot of things. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm good at, he knows that I'm good at delegating. <laughs> nice. um, so uh, yeah, definitely have embraced that in my business. And it's been, I hired an assistant this year to help me with some of those things. And the nice thing about when I hired my assistant is I had all these systems. So it was kind of easy to like train her on what I needed her to do for me because I already had like very clear yep. systems. Yep. So it was easy to outsource. That's oh, that's another really great point. So anybody listening in who's like, oh, I don't know if I should start delegating work or outsourcing work to somebody else. One of the most important ways to have success in delegation or outsourcing is to know what it is that you want before you go to delegate that thing. And you best know what you want when you've done the thing yourself, especially if you've created the system, Sarah, like you're talking about. And that is so, so important because the number of times that, that we've, I mean, hundreds, maybe even thousands at this point that we've interacted with photographers over the years who came to us, they, they liked the idea of outsourcing their editing, but they weren't sure what they even wanted to begin with. And it, it creates a sense of frustration on the photographer's part because they're, they're like, they just kind of send us the images crossing their fingers without communicating clearly, managing expectations like you talked about. And they get the thing back and then, then they're happy with it, but there's no way they really could be happy with it because they didn't know what they wanted in the first place. So that kind mm -hmm. of clarity about what it is that I want, what do I want out of this? What's the finished product or experience that I'm looking for? is absolutely vital to a good experience, not just delegating editing, but certainly album design or email management or any other element of our business. Super, super important that we're clear about what it is we're trying to achieve in that. So that's a, that's a really important, I mean, we could park there and talk about that for a while, but that's a really sure. good reminder. I really appreciate you bringing us to that. One more question and I wanna get into our main topic here. Talk to me about an impactful self-help book, business book that has hit you hard in the last few years, something you would wanna to recommend to our listeners. Um, so like I kind of mentioned, I already kind of name dropped Brene Brown, uh, but she has a book called, she has a lot of books, but the gifts of imperfection, um, and Atlas of the heart are two books of hers that, um, really spoke to me, um, in my emotional journey. Um, and so definitely those and atomic habits is probably another one that has really been helpful for me in the last like year or so atomic habits. What was the other one? Gifts of, I have gifts of imperfection from Brene Brown pulled up on screen. What uh -huh. was the other one you mentioned? Atlas of the heart. Atlas of the heart. Got mm -hmm. it. There we go. Yeah. Okay. We've got that here. So for anybody who's live streaming, of course you can see this on screen, Atlas of the heart mapping, meaningful connection in the language of human experience. Um, then the other one that we looked at, Gifts of, of Imperfection, uh, also by Brene Brown, and then Atomic Habits. That's one that's that's come up quite a bit here on the podcast. Super yeah. popular for sure. And um, that's by James Clear. Atomic Habits, an easy way, an easy and proven way to build good habits and break bad ones. Uh, so mm -hmm. that's good. Okay. So we're going to put these in the show notes, Sarah. I appreciate you sharing that. And by the way, for anybody listening in or watching, if you go to Boca Bookshelf, just like it sounds, B-O-K-E-H, bookshelf.com, we have a collection of the most popular recommendations uh, on the podcast thus far. I think you're going to see all the highlights there. So go check that out as well. Just a little side note, if anybody's looking for something to read uh, along with these recommendations from Sarah. Okay. Sarah, we're going to get into the topic at hand. We have a lot to cover here on, on this, this topic. Sure. We're going to talk about defining or personalizing the definition of success for ourselves. And it is kind of an interesting thing that um, almost a sickness, if you will, that we've gotten into as 
human beings and, and first world culture where we have a tendency to compare ourselves to another person, um, kind of judge our success based on our comparison to another person when really it doesn't make sense to do so, right? Like the context isn't even the same. So it's kind of a broken thought process to, to begin with. But what do you think has driven that tendency in our culture? What's the psychology behind it? I freaking love this question because <laughs> I could literally talk. Anybody who knows me, we're locked in like, this is Sarah loves to talk about this. <laughs> um, I, um, I, 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 something I see a lot in other people is that they have their self-esteem solely rooted in comparison. So like they're constantly um, using other people's experiences, opinions, and presentations as a measuring stick for their own life and to determine their own value. And they're always looking outward instead of inward to sort of validate who they are, what they're doing, if what they, you know, are wearing looks good to, you know, what career choice they've chosen, like all the things they use. Um, you know, like, it, okay, if I'm doing this and someone else is doing this, then that means I'm okay. And I think it's kind of rooted in like this human need for belonging, you hmm. know, to fit in. That's like an innate thing. And so I think you're compare. I think the natural thing in your brain is to compare yourself to others to make sure that you're fitting in, to make sure you fit in that box. Okay. Um, and so, and, and that's a well-documented, like, innate need that that human beings seem to have and it's it takes an immense amount of bravery courage and um introspection to overcome that i think but i think only great things um come from having the courage to stand out and to um you know not necessarily fit in to to do what your heart's telling you to do instead mm. of trying to fit into whatever box that the world's telling you you should fit into. Interesting. I, I And I'm by the way, I'm not just throwing out the word interesting there just to fill in the blank. Like it's really interesting to me. I, I don't think I'd ever considered it this way that, that the idea when we're talking about success and we as individuals are comparing ourselves to other people's so-called success it's not necessarily a matter of trying to raise the bar for ourselves as much as we're just trying to feel comfortable or feel like we're part of something similar to someone else. Um, mm -hmm. A need for belonging in some way. That's, that's an interesting take. Where did you, where did you learn that perspective? <laughs> you just kind of, for anybody who's not live streaming, you didn't see the face that Sarah just made, which was like, I don't know. <laughs> I just, I just, it's just an observation. I think as women, especially, I don't know, it's probably true for men too. But from my perspective, you know, I was great at the comparison game. Being someone who was a late bloomer, so to speak, and somebody who was really shy and extremely self-conscious mm. and self-deprecating and just had all this negative self-talk and someone who came from that sort of perspective and had to grow or at least wanted to grow because I didn't like myself like that and I wanted to be happy. Um, I think you have to like, you know, observe other people. I, I, can, I see a lot of people that pl play the comparison game a lot. I totally understand where they're coming from because I used to be that person. Um, and so it's interesting to me. I think I have a big, when you go through something and you sort of, you know, 
metamorph yourself, metamorph, I don't know the word, but you know, you, you go through change and you look back at who you were, um, when you've had major change in your life, I think you end up being a little more introspective and also be able to see it in other people. And when you see it in someone else, you can make observations about that experience that you couldn't make when you yeah, were true. going through it. Yeah, 2020 hindsight, right? But you, you said something, though, that I, I want to kind of pause and, and discuss for a second. I want to get your take on this. Because I think a lot of how we address a, a potential problem in our lives has to do with the way that we frame it. If we if we turn it into something way bigger than it actually is, there's a tendency that we might have to avoid doing something about it, right? And you talked about right. how it, it takes, you use the word bravery to to kind of move beyond this thought process and to be confident in ourselves and and be okay with our definition of success. And and I cringe a little bit because in my mind, like bravery is is like a soldier on a field who's under fire and goes and saves his friend. Like that that's true bravery. And I feel like we've kind of softened in our society a little bit to the notion that something like this, which is a, a change that we have to make internally, requires bravery. Um, and and if we frame it that way, that maybe we're making it too big a deal in our mind, and that will keep us from being able to move forward more effectively. But that's kind of my hard ass perspective. <laughs> I'm I'm curious about your perspective on that. You call it hard ass, I call it testosterone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, I um I, I think okay, so at risk of sounding like somebody who does like a lot of hallucinogens or smokes weed, which I do neither of those things. Um, but I do feel like sometimes my perspective gets a little existential when it comes to stuff like this. Sure. Um but I think that to be the real yes people who go out and save other people's lives you know that's still you know that's almost like a fight or flight response and so yes while that is brave i think we have to think of ourselves as heroes of our own lives um in order to you know live and have the strength to pull through sometimes because life is hard we may not be on a battlefield but um i also think i have a, a perspective that the human brain is not evolving as fast as technology is allowing us to which is sure. one of the reasons that i have um I, I think one of the reasons that i think that we have a lot of depression anxiety a lot of mental health issues in 2022 is not necessarily because humans are getting soft it's just that Technology is evolving at a rate that we have not seen ever in the history of humankind. And it is allowing us a lot more space within our brains that were previously dedicated to actual survival mm. and feeding ourselves and clothing ourselves and all those things. We have all this space now um, because technology does so much of the work of existing yeah. for us. Yep. So we have so much space and it's like, what do we do with this? We're not really like doing what we were evolved or built or born or however you view it from your belief system um, to do. And so we're just kind of in this weird place in human history, I think. No, it's actually a great point. But I, I think to that very point, the fact that we've got it so easy has naturally made us 
softer. We do have more time, more space to give to, unfortunately, sitting around thinking about ourselves and what we think about something and how we feel about this thing. And should we do this? We're, we're just, we're, and, and again, I, I raise my hand, both my hands. I'm, I've been so terrible with this and I'm learning, continuing to learn how to kind of shift away from that approach to life because it's very narcissistic, like egocentric that we're constantly thinking about ourselves and how we feel about something. And it gets, it just gets in the way at the end of the day of being able to actually just live, like to, to truly appreciate what's around us, the people around us, what we've, what we've been given. And I, so I, I think it just, it gets in the way. And just to kind of bring it back around, that's, that's why I tend to push back because I feel like we've built up these, these choices at the end of the day that are literal, like internal choices. I, I don't have to go fight fires. I don't have to go protect my friend on the battlefield. I don't have to fight starvation. I don't have to do any of these crazy things that some people still have to deal with on a daily basis. I have to make a choice internally and it's a big deal. It's a big shift in my life. I'm going to feel uncomfortable, but I, I just, I'm just wondering if we frame it as such a big deal that, that we're calling it brave or heroic to do something that frankly, in comparison to what a lot of people have to deal with, isn't that big of a deal. If maybe we wouldn't, maybe that would enable us to move forward a little bit more easily. I, I could be wrong. You know, a lot of people are kind of stuck in their own context and they don't have that outside perspective, but I just wonder, I what think do you think? I think that a person who has struggled with self-esteem needs the encouragement to feel like they are being brave. Otherwise, they they need to feel um, like what they're doing is meaningful. Sure, sure. I, I I think I think just so sports analogy, not every player on baseball, basketball, football, whatever, it can be coached in the same way, right? Like different people learn and are coached, respond to different styles differently. Mm -hmm. And I think the same thing goes for life. So like something that resonates uh, with me and I respond to positively in my life and, and gives me encouragement and gives me um, meaning may not apply in the same way to you because you were born into a different situation. You had different things affecting you. You had different struggles in your own journey. Yeah. Um, and so I don't, I don't think there's any wrong way to, to live, you know, like, yeah, I'm not suggesting it's wrong as much as just potentially limiting, right? Because I, I, the way that we, that we, the way that we frame something, in fact, I have, I've mentioned it before in the podcast, but I have for anybody who's live streaming with us, if I can turn my arm the right way, (laughs) I've got this, this uh, tattoo on my left wrist, which is the word kakushin in Japanese, which is the word belief. And when we begin to understand that literally everything that we do on a day-to-day basis is, del- is, is driven by a belief or set of beliefs, and I'm not talking about religious belief system, I just mean literally, like I believe that um, you know, the stand-up desk that I'm at right now is going to hold up my phone, so I put my phone down, and fortunately my belief was rooted in, in fact, right? So now, now it's sitting there. Sure. Yeah. Um, but there are also plenty of beliefs that we have in our lives that aren't rooted in anything other than a projection of our own personal psychological issues onto the world. And unfortunately, due to those, in many cases, we tend to frame something in a way that that inhibits us. It's not that it's wrong. It, it's psychological baggage, for lack of a better description. So I'm not suggesting it's wrong as much as, hey, is this really the what is going to be the most enabling belief system or thought process in this situation? if we build this thing up to be so big that that we're looking at it like this grandiose idea that we might make a change in our life, which if we hadn't framed that way, we might have been more apt to make a little bit more quickly. 
Um, I know this is kind of nuanced, but. Sure. And I, I, I hear you and I, I get, and I don't, I don't necessarily think I, wrong might be the wrong term, uh, so <laughs> to speak. But I, I guess what I mean is what resonates. There's no, just like I said before, like what resonates with you? Like, cause to me, I need big goals to chase. That's, that's me. I need to feel like I'm doing something, um, uh, meaningful and I need I need big goals to chase in my life in yeah. order to feel satisfaction mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that I don't still have mindfulness that doesn't mean that I don't still live in today like there's always this like and especially for somebody or anybody with ADHD most people are either on or they off, they're off and people like to talk in extremes but the reality of life is that it's mostly gray and so um, you know I don't think it has to be either it's um I think that you are correct that for some people thinking of it as brave and a big thing uh, might be inhibitory for them, but for other people, they need to, they need to believe that they are brave. They need to believe that they have courage in order to move forward. Hmm. But that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody needs that. Oh, sure. No, I, I wouldn't think so. But I just think that we've moved in our culture toward this tendency to, well, like you pointed out earlier, so brilliantly, actually, that that we somehow need some significance in the feeling that this thing that we're doing is, is a big accomplishment. And then we want everybody on social media to prop us up because we did the things or we got to talk about it there, too. Um, there is a lot of insecurity that, that's driving some of this behavior. Again, I'm totally guilty of it. So this is not not preaching by any means. Um, it, in fact, Andres actually makes an interesting point on YouTube. He says, don't forget the fear is real, regardless if the issue is real or imaginary. So it will take bravery to overcome that fear. And yeah, absolutely, Andres. I, I think maybe the best example I can give here, Sarah, is um, I, I still have, I love to fly. And I've, I've flown many, many, many miles in my life since the time I was a very young kid living overseas. I, I love to fly, but I still get at times unusually nervous about turbulence. And a lot of it, I think, harkens back to an experience that I had when I was a kid and a story that I heard about some terrible turbulence. And I, I, it was during a time of my life and in, in a circumstance where there were a, a lot of emotional um, volatility, shall we say. And so my brain just kind of latched onto that. And ever since that, and it's so weird. Again, these are the weird belief systems that we develop, right? I heard that story. I latched onto it psychologically. And since that time, I have this kind of innate fear when I'm flying, when I begin to feel turbulence that I'm like, oh shoot, is this going to turn into something really terrible? And I exist in this state of fear unnecessarily. And it's rooted in a belief or a series of beliefs that have developed as a result of this experience that I had. And the idea that I would go choose to fly, for example, in that circumstance, that's not bravery on my part. That's just simply reality and logic, right? When we look at it at the very root level that there's a less chance of me getting hurt and certainly the plane crashing um, than if I were to get by, you know, lightning or something like that. I mean, like the chances of anything happening are zero to none. And yet I've built up this ridiculous fear that takes over my body at times because I've allowed that belief system to fester, to develop to the point where I, it is my reality. So as Andres points out, like we may be dealing with fears. Those fears are real to, real to us. They're significant to us. Um, and I don't want to minimize that. But the flip side of that, too, I'm wondering is if we give so much significance to whatever the thought process is, 
that it might inhibit us in some way. So this is more of a thought exercise, and I, I really love your perspective about it. I love thought exercise. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good, but I want to keep moving on the conversation too, because you know part of what enables us to define success is to move beyond maybe some belief systems that are inhibiting us in one form or another, sure. personally or professionally. I'm curious what that experience looked like for you or what that transition looked like for you where you went from this place that you were so, and you alluded to it earlier, so concerned about what other people thought to kind of moving out of that. Can you describe that in a little bit more detail? Yeah. So I think, um, like I said before, like kind of doing a lot of introspection and, you know, going to therapy and reading all the the self-help books and everything to kind of like help get myself out of that headspace. But the big game changer for me was like refusing to talk to myself in a way that I would not talk to a friend. Interesting. Um, was, it was huge. Like I, why would I treat myself? Like I would never talk to my friend like that. Like, why am I talking to myself that way? Um, and so, you know, positive self-talk was a big game changer for me and getting to shift my belief about um, myself and believing in myself and what I'm capable of and can accomplish. Because, you know, when you, when you come from a place um, of being insecure, um, you know, start, just starting small changes can make huge differences in your life. Um, so that that was sort of the beginning of of that for me. Um, and then, like I said, going through and starting to observe other people and their behaviors and why they are that way. Cause like I said, it's easy to look at other people's lives and sort of analyze them. That's one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> and um, then learn from it. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause then I can like see why they're that way mm. and apply it to my, my own life going forward. Um, so just changing the way that, I think about myself and, and not allowing myself to be negative towards myself was really huge. And before that point where that kind of shift began to happen, how did you define the word success? So within my business, um, I defined success as quitting my job. So for background, I graduated. I kind of did in my life of being insecure. I just made decisions in my life that made me fit in, so to speak, that were mm. like sensible. Uh, I never really stopped. I didn't have the, I don't think I had the courage or believed in myself enough to really even ask myself what I wanted from my life. I was just like, well, this is what everybody else does. So this is what I'm going to do. And didn't really question it. And was that just um, like so, a, a, an effort to fit in? Like we were talking about earlier? Yeah, I okay. think so. A lot of it was an effort to fit in and representation is important. I did not see other people from my same background, similar situations do anything other than just get a job that they didn't hate and mm. get married and have children and all those things. So mm -hmm. I didn't have, I felt like a model of someone who is really like living their life the way they wanted to live it. And I, I might've just been blind to it. I'm sure there was people in my life that were like that. Um, but nobody really that was significant in my life. You just, you know, we didn't grow up with much money. It was just always survival mode. Um, and so I just got married at 19 and I graduated. Um, I went to pharmacy school and became a pharmacist at 23. And, um, 
was in the healthcare system working in a hospital and I got really, um, you know, went through my divorce and then after my divorce was over and I was trying to figure out who I wanted to be in my life, that's when I found photography and started my business. So then I was really laser focused on becoming a successful photographer. I'd already accomplished the pharmacy thing, whatever. Um, and so now I was like, okay, I want to be a successful photographer. And for me in the beginning, that meant that I was going to get to leave healthcare because I was really um, frustrated and jaded with the healthcare system. I was really dissatisfied in my job at the time when I started my business. I was like, this is the dream. This is success. Um, so to answer your question, that's in the beginning what I thought success was going to look like or what I thought the definition was at the time. And then how did that change? Like, how would you today define the notion of success? So for me, that change, you know, I had people at the hospital, like, so especially as that my business grew and I kind of started like gaining traction a little bit and I was really busy. They were like, when are you going to quit? And I was like, people ask me that. And all of a sudden I was like, I don't want to quit. <laughs> I don't. Um, and when I had that realization that that was my answer to their question, I was like, wait a minute. I thought that that's what I wanted. Like, why don't I want to quit? And, um, then of course had to do some self-reflection and introspection. And I realized that I, I, I like being a multi-passionate person. I like having multiple jobs. You know, I don't have By the children. Way, I, I like the word multi-passionate. I think that's the first time I've heard that on the podcast. That's, that's a good word. <laughs> Please continue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I like having my, I like having multiple income streams. I like, um, I like my job as a pharmacist and I like being a photographer and I don't have to choose because I don't, you know, this is what I want. I can decide what I want my life to look like. And um, the insecurity kind of creeped in when I would go to some of these like, you know, networking events or whatever. And people would immediately, oh, are you full time? And I'm like, what a does that mean? Like, cause I felt like they were judging me. Like if you're not full time in your business, you're not uh, either taking it seriously or you're not making enough money. But yeah. here's the reality. The only thing I like better than making money is spending money. So, I mean, that's just the truth. So I, 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 I make, I make as much in my photography business as I do as a photographer. And the thing about being full time is for some people, you could Wait, go you said, full time. You said you make as much in your photography business as you do making. As a pharmacist. Oh, as a pharmacist. You said photographer. Okay. All right, cool. Oh, sorry. No, no, you're right. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so I, you know, I could do either. And for some people it's like, you know, to go full time means you make 50 K for some people going full time means you make, you need to make a hundred K for some people going full time means, well, I need to make 200 K like everybody has different lifestyles, right? Yeah. Like yeah. that, that's what that, like that question is a dumb question in my mm. opinion, mm. because what, whether or not you can afford to go full time in your business depends on what kind of lifestyle that you want to live. You know, like if my, if I want to make 250, 300,000 to maintain a certain lifestyle, that means that, you know, I can't quote go full time until I'm making two or 300 K in my business, hmm. which for someone else, they may only need to get to 50 K. So it's right. like, it's just an ambiguous question, um, that I, I think in the beginning, I'm kind of passionate about 
about it a little bit because in the it it kind of made me fall when people ask me that question it kind of made me fall back into some old habits like in my head comparison. about uh, yeah comparison and things that I thought that I had overcome honestly started to sort and I think that's a, a lesson there as well it's like you you never beat mental health issues <laughs> You know, you or, or or at least thought processes in your brain like you don't you you constantly have to like readdress them. You have you have to um, and never, you know, I, I work a lot in the addiction population. And it's very similar. You never beat addiction like you're just always a recovering addict. Hmm. And it's kind of the same thing when it comes to like addictive type of thought processes that are negative. Um, it's they're always going to come back there they will always creep but you got to have coping mechanisms and new skills to be able to to fight them off each and every time they creep up yeah i would i would even argue that the coping mechanisms only last for so long in many cases especially in addictive situations whereas i think it's a shift in thought process that that sure. really makes the big i mean you're you're describing the shift in thought process that happened for you that enabled you to move beyond the the kind of cultural definition of success to something that was specific to you. That required a thought process. You could have, you know, I, you could have avoided looking at Instagram so you stopped comparing yourselves <laughs> against other people. Yeah. That's a coping mechanism. It's a shift in thought process that is not only more healthy, but is ultimately gonna be longer lasting. And, um, I, I, yeah, that's, I'll leave it at that. that. That's a, that's an interesting conversation. We could also spend a lot of time on, but that being said, let's, let's talk about kind of those practical steps. I'd love for our listeners to walk away with something that's super actionable. You mentioned to me before we got started that you've got kind of four steps that you took that enabled you to make that shift to defining success for yourself. And I'd love for you to share those with our listeners, if you will. Yeah. So, you know, we've talked a lot about doing a lot of emotion, emotional growth and, and self-reflection. Like, you know, we've had a little bit of a debate about the de definition of courage or bravery, but <laughs> I think, I think that it, you have, it is a scary thing to look yourself in the mirror. It, I don't think anybody would argue with that really looking at yourself and opening yourself up to critique so to speak, in any respect, is hard. Um, and so, but you have to do it. Like that's where the that's where you grow as a person. Yeah. Um, and so, um, a lot of emotional growth and self reflection, and really having really difficult conversations with yourself, or maybe a therapist. Um, <laughs> I'm a huge advocate for therapy. For obviously. sure. For sure. Um, uh, and I had to ask myself, what do I want my life to look like? You know, just kind of like writing it down. What do I want my life to look like? And almost have tunnel vision and only focus on what your heart's telling you. Um, and block out the noise. Determine what makes your heart sing. Um, you know, don't give insignificant people significance in your life. Your life is about you. And what other people think of you is simply none of your business. Um, so really looking inward and focusing on what you want, your want, you want your life to look like, like, and you know, this is a, a question that I ask myself, um, frequently and sort of when I'm making decisions about whether or not I'm on the right path is, you know, if I were to die tomorrow 
and couldn't tell anyone that I was going to die. Like, it's not like we're going to have, you know, some kind of like touchy feely, whatever session. Like you can't tell anybody you're going to die, but you're going to die tomorrow. What would you want today to look like? Or if you want to be less morbid about it, like think of all your favorite memories in your life and where were you, who were you with? Because that's where your heart is. That is what's going to tell you what success really is and what's going to provide you real sustainable happiness. If it's on a mountaintop, you know, on, you know, is it on the beach? Is it working in, um, in your field? Is it helping impoverished children? Like whatever that looks like for you, that's going to help guide you to find what your definition of real success is. And I think it's important to have that, I'm a goal-oriented person, and so having that idea of what success is going to look like for you and what you want for your life is is really important to help keep you on track to living your best life, you know, to, um, to that. And for me, you know, simply having what I want my life to look like and really my true definition of success now is to have the freedom of my time to do whatever I want. <laughs> you know, whatever, you know, to have the freedom of being able to go to Disney World three times a year, to be able to spend days off with my dogs and my husband to, um, you know, that's, that's what success for me at this point looks like is mm. being empowered and having the freedom to do whatever I want to do and be authentic and unapologetic about that. Well, and, and that having that clarity about what it is that you're trying to achieve comes from, and I, I was taking notes here again on my, my notebook. So you said, start with self-reflection. So we have to start with self-reflection, understanding kind of the psychology that drives us. And, and certainly if, if we need to get a therapist involved to help with that, that's a good, good thing to do as well. Secondly, ask, what do I want? So now I understand the psychology driving me, the things that, that are most valuable to me, my values, the things that bring me the most joy and fulfillment. And then just very simply asking and answering that question, what is it that I want? And being clear about that. Then third, block out the noise. Um, And then fourth, don't give significance to insignificant people. I think those two things kind of go hand in hand. But it is easy to allow ourselves to get distracted by so many I mean, it's that paradox of choice, right? There's so many options right now. If we go scroll whatever social media platform, you see all these possibilities for what life could look like. And it's easy to get sucked down one rabbit hole or another and then do that comparison thing. But if we take a step back into the quiet and take the time for self-reflection, be clear about what it is that we're trying to achieve, it's a lot easier than to filter out that noise and not give significance to the insignificant people in our life. I think that's, that's good perspective. I really appreciate you sharing this. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's my, I, you know, my sort of like goal in life is I, I feel I've, ha- I'm, I feel like I've reached a point where I have got a really great perspective and, and happiness and a feeling of peace and mindfulness. And I just want everybody you know, I've been there, I've been in the dark places, I've been in struggle and all that. And I feel like I've come to the other side of it. And I am always happy to, I mean, I still have, you know, work to do and things to learn. I'm only 35 years old. I don't know everything. But, um, you know, I just want other people to know that you don't, you don't have to live in a work in a feeling of the comparison game. And I'll never be that or, 
I'll always, um, you know, I'll never reach my goals or this photographer is better than me. I'll never be as good as they are, whatever. You don't have to live that way. Like you can be yourself authentically and be successful and live a very happy life. I think that's a pretty good summation of the conversation. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I appreciate it, Sarah. Well, um, for those of you listening in, I'm going to pop this up here on screen. Sarah, remind us all of your website and then Instagram as well. Yeah, uh, com, and I'm at Photo on Instagram. Check cool. me out. Check her out. Make sure you follow uh, ask her a question or two, too. If, if some of these yes. elements of the conversation spurred some thoughts, some ideas, some questions, shoot her a DM. And uh, Sarah, again, I, I really appreciate you making time to share with our listeners both your perspective and ultimately what is really practical, actionable advice. I, I, thank you for that. Of course. All right, everybody listening in, thanks for joining in. Thanks for live streaming with us. And if you missed the live stream, obviously you can go to Facebook or youtube.com slash Boca Podcast. Come join us for the next one. Follow us on Instagram at Boca Podcast to, to find out about that next live stream. All right, y'all have a wonderful day. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks. <laughs>